Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we begin a brand new study in the book of 2 Peter called Knowing and Growing. 2 Peter is a letter of both warning and encouragement. Peter wrote to address error and false teaching, but he also spoke of growing in grace and the certainty of Christ's return. Open your Bible to 2 Peter 1 and listen to this week's message, Know Who You Are, from Pastor David Wilson. Open your Bible to 2 Peter. It's toward the end of the New Testament. Go to Revelation and go back left a few blocks. You'll find it. 2 Peter. And even though it looks just like a salutation, it is a salutation, but a lot of people think that's all it is. Let me tell you, the first two verses are just rich with truth. I'm going to read the first two verses. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand? Just two verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, today we pray that you would speak to us, help us to grow, help us to have this grace and peace multiplied in our life. I pray you'd help us to see and hear the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. There's a story, it's a bad one, but it's a story about a man whose wife had a cat. She loved this cat, but he hated it. It was always clawing the marks on the furniture, leaving scratch marks. It was always under his feet. It would, it would leave hair on his pants legs. And he finally got enough of it. And while his wife was away on a trip, he drowned it. When she came back, of course, she didn't tell anybody, obviously. She came back. She was hysterical because she couldn't find her cat. And so he thought to help matters, he would put out a reward. And so he put a pad in the paper that said, reward $10,000 for anybody that can find this cat, return it. Well, one of his friends saw it and said, man, are you crazy? $10,000 to find a cat? And he said, when you know what I know, you can afford to take the risk. (laughs) It does matter what you know. If you could sum up 2 Peter in one word, it would be knowledge. Not up here, not just head knowledge, not just intellectual, but experiential knowledge of God. Between the first writing of 1 Peter, or between the writing of 1 Peter and the writing of 2 Peter, there have been several years, not a lot of time had elapsed, but several things took place. False teachers began to emerge. 
And Peter was worried because really even more dangerous than outside pressure that First Peter was written about and the suffering and the persecution, what's worse than, what's, what can be worse than that is when you have false teachers or, or heresy cropping up in the church that looks authentic, but it's not, and begin to lead people astray. The word knowledge is used 16 times in these three chapters. And the central theme of 1 Peter is to have a, a, a personal growing relationship kind of knowledge with Jesus Christ. If you put it in a sentence, it could be this, growing Christians will be knowing Christians. Why is it so important that we teach the Bible? Why is it so important that we expound and, and teach the You come to hear the Bible. You come to hear the word of God because it helps you to grow. Now, in light of the fact that false teachers were already infiltrating, infiltrating the church, the apostles were, of course, concerned because they were beginning to move off of the scene. Paul had already been executed, and now Peter is writing his swan song. I don't know if Paul had already been executed, but he was already in prison. And just like 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter, 2 Peter is the apostle Peter's last letter. Within a year after he wrote this, he was probably executed. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down. He was going to be crucified by the Romans, but he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die like Jesus did. And so Peter writes this because he knows his days are numbered. In fact, if you look down in verse 13, he, he's going to say, you know, it's not going to be long before I'm going to be getting rid of this tent. He calls his body a tent, just like Paul did in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me quickly give you a couple of differences between 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter of consolation for those under persecution. 2 Peter is a letter of warning to those in the church. 1 Peter is encouragement for the church. 2 Peter talks about error, and heresy in the church. 1 Peter talks about comfort for suffering saints. 2 Peter, exposure of false teaching. The whole chapter 2 is about false teachers and heresy. And folks, in case you don't think heresy is still alive and well, it's still alive and well. 1 Peter talks about external opposition. Second Peter talks about internal opposition. First Peter is a book about hope. It enables us to face trials. Second Peter is about full knowledge. It enables us to grow and to recognize error and heresy. First Peter deals with hostility from without. Second Peter deals with heresy from within. First Peter talks about hope in the Lord's return. Second Peter talks about the certainty of the Lord's return. First Peter talks about walk in holiness as God is holy. Second Peter talks about grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. First Peter is pain with a purpose. Second Peter, poison in the pew. Folks, I want to tell you, it's his last letter, and he's so, I guess, adamant about them understanding that if you're going to grow, you're, you, as a Christian, you've got to grow if you're going to make it. The day that you accepted Christ, that was only the beginning. 
But if you're supposed to grow and mature in the Lord, it's, it comes from the knowledge, a deep knowledge of God. And all, every one of you can have it. Did you know that? It's right here. When you read this and you, and you apply this and you study this, you have a deeper knowledge of God and you begin to grow. Now, as we look at the first two verses of this, I don't want you to miss the valuable truth here because actually the first chapter is broken into two parts and it's in that little booklet for you. It talks about us growing in the Lord and maturing in Christ, but then it also then talks about the word of God and how reliable and truthful and authentic it really is. So today we're going to begin a, a few Sundays talking about growing in the Lord and maturing in the Lord. And if you're going to grow in the Lord, the first place you, you start is you got to know who you are. Do you realize who you are in Christ? I think some of you take it for granted. Some of you may not have ever realized exactly what's happened to you. And some of you, like me, have been Christians for so long that you've really forgotten all that. Not that you've forgotten, but you begin to take it for granted if you're not careful. So, today I want you to notice a few truths with me. The first one is to recall your status in salvation. If you're going to know who you are, you've got to recall your status in salvation. What has Christ done for you? It's very interesting. I tried to emphasize it when I read it, but did you notice he uses both his names? Simon Peter. Now, it's not uncommon to see it in the Gospels. It's not uncommon to see it in the book of Acts. But this is the only place in the New Testament where one of the letters has a salutation or a greeting where both names are used. You never see Paul begin a letter by saying, Saul, Paul, Simon, Peter. Now, he began his first letter in a totally different way. This, I'm Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the first letter. Here, Simon Peter, I think it's significant. And a lot of people would skip over and say, oh, that's just a, he just used his name. But the double name here, I think, means something. Because you see, Peter was in prison at this time when he's writing. And he knows he's going to be killed any time. He doesn't know when. He just knows it's going to be soon. And he's probably beginning to reminisce about all that's happened in his life probably close to 70 or in his 70s, he's thinking about all that he's come from. And he begins to think about how he started as Simon. I put it this way. He goes back to the name that his mother gave him, a name that he had before he met Jesus, a name that when he, when he was a sinner. The name Simon or Simeon or Simone was his given name. He knows that he's still simple Simon and that he's a sinner. I can imagine Peter knowing that the time of his death is near. He's looking back over his whole life and where he'd come from, and he, he's still Simon. That simple fisherman with a big mouth, big enough to fit both feet in at times. And yet, on the other hand, now he's Peter the apostle of Jesus Christ a shepherd of God's sheep, a fisher of men. It's crucial that you understand where you've come from. You, you were born with a sinful nature. You were born in sin. You were a slave to sin. And then you met Jesus. But folks, do you remember what it was like before you met Christ? 
Now you're a new creation in him. Now you've been set free. Now you've been forgiven. But you were a sinner. People without Jesus today are sinners. The scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. We're born in sin. In fact, it's interesting that when Jesus was sometimes, I wouldn't use the word rebuking. Maybe he was rebuking him. But when he got stern with Peter, he went back to Simon. Luke twenty-two thirty-one says, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may shift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The first letter, he used the Peter, the rock. But sitting in a prison, he writes a second letter. He's looking back on his life and he's thinking, you know, I was just simple Simon, son of Barjona, a fisher of fish. Then one day Jesus came by and he talked to me and my brother Andrew and said, hey, I want you to quit fishing for fish. I want you to fish for men. Peter and Andrew dropped their nets and followed him. I can also imagine he's probably like a lot of us as we get older. We look back on our youth thinking, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. You younger folks that haven't gotten to where we are yet, trust me, everything you say you're going to think of later. So be careful what you say. Be careful what you do because the choices you make now determine how the end's going to be most of the time. I imagine Peter thought, you know, I did tell him I was ready to die for him. I did tell him I would never deny him. I did tell him, you're not going to wash my feet. Some of us came to know Christ when we were children and we were raised in the church. And so it's hard for us to remember a life without Jesus. But I want to tell you that a life without Jesus, even if you're raised in the church, is just as lost as a person who's never been in church and doesn't have Jesus. You're still a sinner separated from God and this was his first name Simon but then he met Jesus and after his great confession that's recorded in Matthew 16 18 up near Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said who do men say that I am and he and Peter said well some say that you're Elijah some say this and some say that and then Jesus asked Peter who do you say that I am and Peter said you're the Christ the son of the living God And Jesus said, you know what, upon this confession, not upon you, Peter, and y'all need to understand this. Peter was not the first pope. Peter was not what the church was built on. It was his confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built on, the confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Christ. And and then, but he said, but from now on, your name shall be called Petros, a rock, So he went from a sinner to a saint. Do you know any saints? You're either a saint or you ain't. (laughs) You know some saints, you're sitting by them. Are you kidding me? Do you see who I'm sitting by? (laughs) If you've met Christ, you're a saint. 
The word saint means, it means set apart. We, we use the word hagios, holy, sanctified, sanctification, set apart. All of that's from the word hagios, which means holy and holiness. God took you off the dung heap of humanity and imputed the righteousness of Jesus to you, covered you with the righteousness of Christ, forgave you of your sin, and now he has set you apart. You've gone from an ain't to a saint. You're now a child of God. You know, a saint is not somebody that we canonize or that we elevate to some kind of, they've got it wrong. So you don't pray through a saint to get to God. You pray through Jesus Christ to get to God. And so you're just as much a saint as any of these other saints that you, that other people kind of worship or not worship, but they think, well, they're going to get us a little extra credit. It's just not true. You're a saint. He went from a sinner. Uh, here, you got a, a fisherman, a fisherman who gets saved, who follows Christ. And now Jesus gives him a new name. Peter's not an elevated hero. He is an apostle. He was an apostle. But we like him, don't we? Because most of us can relate to him. <laughs> if we haven't said it like Peter said it, we've thought it, haven't we? at times. But then, then Peter, he, he says, I'm Simon, the old fisherman, Petros, the man who knows Jesus, a bondservant, a slave. A lot of words for slave in the New Testament. There were household slaves. There were attendants. There were other kinds of slaves. But this particular word is bondservant, doulos, which means to be bound to. It's hard for Americans to think about slavery because none of us have ever been slaves. And our thought of slavery was back before the Civil War days, and obviously that was all wrong. You cannot justify that at all. So the Bible does not condone slavery. However, during the time of the New Testament, the Roman Empire, it's estimated that 60% of the population was slaves. They've been conquered by the Romans. Now, they weren't walking around in chains and being beaten, but there were all kinds of slaves. But the word doulos, you're not really going to understand this until you understand that you were born a slave. You were born a slave to sin. You were born in sin. Not because of sin, you were born in sin. The scripture tells us that those who without Jesus Christ are slaves to sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You, you're, you, were, you were born that way. You didn't have to be taught to do wrong, did you? You got it by nature. You had a sinful nature. You got it by nature. You, you didn't have to, we have to teach them to do right. As perfect as grandkids are, they still are sinful. Until you understand that you needed to be redeemed, you needed to be set free, you needed to be atoned for, you needed to be purchased, and somebody paid the price to buy you out of the slavery of sin. And that somebody was Jesus Christ. And so that when he delivered you and you committed your life to him, you're basically saying, Lord, I no longer want to be a slave 
to sin, I want to be your slave. I want to be your servant. We like that word a little bit better, so I'll use that word, servant. I want to serve you, Lord, because you have paid the price for me. You delivered me from sin. If it weren't for you, I would die in slavery to sin, and I would go to hell. I would die in that. But you delivered me. And so I am bound to you. To bind is the word doulash. I am bound to you. He recognized that first above being an apostle, he was a servant. He was a slave to Christ. He'd been bought with the precious blood of Christ. He was not his own. Now, I want us to apply that to you and me. Listen, we've gotten this idea that when we commit our lives to Christ and we make him Lord of our life and we give him our life, that we just sort of volunteer for him after that, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm going to volunteer to do a few things for Christ. There are no volunteers, only servants. There are no volunteers, only servants. There are no volunteers, only servants. Thank you. Now think about it. I owe everything to him, don't you? I, I owe everything to Jesus, don't you? If it weren't for Jesus, I have no hope. If it weren't for Jesus, I'm not going to heaven. If it weren't for Jesus, I have no peace. I'm, I owe everything to him. I am bound to Christ. I am his servant. That's the word here. And he pulls that card long before he pulls that apostle card. He says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant serves the master. Whatever the servant and whatever the master wants, the servant does. The servant doesn't say, well, when it's more convenient and when I'm retired or when I can do this or when my kids are grown or whatever, I'll serve you, Lord. No, a servant says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yes, sir, I'm going. And God's called all of us to serve him who's been saved. You were saved to serve, not to sit and complain. God's got a mission for you. I don't think you realize you're a servant of God. You're a servant of God. You're a slave to God. You're a slave to Jesus. But he set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. He set you free from those that are trying to earn their way out of their slavery. He said, I've set you free. And then he pulls his apostle card. He was one of the twelve. Judas, of course, he uh, went the wrong way, and then they later replaced him with Matthias, and then later, out of due time, was Paul. All of these men met certain requirements to be an apostle. They had to have seen the resurrected Lord and so forth. I want to tell you something. There are no more apostles today. I don't care who they call themselves. There's no apostles in the New Testament sense today. The closest thing we have is what the word apostle means to be sent. To be sent with a mission. And that's exactly what he is. He, he had a message from God. God said, you're going to go around the world. You're going to send this. You're going to take this. I'm sending you out. We're called to gather together, to grow, to give, and to go with the gospel message. We've been told to go. We've been told to take the message today. You and I are sent. 
We're not apostles. We're not like that Peter and Paul and Peter and James and Paul and John. We're not those, but we are sent. Missionaries are closest thing to it. They're sent. But you and I are all missionaries. There are people that only you can reach. Only you can. You've been sent. So think about what you've, what's happened to you in salvation. You went from a sinner separated from Christ to a saint set apart for him. You're a child of God. You're also a servant. And you've been sent with a message. Isn't that good? I'm telling you, that's all of us. You need to recall your status. It gets better. You need to recognize the sameness in salvation. Look at what it says. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us. There's a couple important truths right here I want you to notice. The word obtained. Obtained really indicates that salvation is provided. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You did not deserve it. You did not inherit it. It was provided to you. I'm so glad I'm not in one of those religions where I've got to try to earn it and work for it. Because as sure as the world, I would forget something. And first of all, that doesn't exist. You can work for it, but you're not going to get there on your own. The word obtained is only used three times in the New Testament or three other times. And it means that you obtained or got something not by your effort, but it was given to you by lot, actually, by a, a, a casting lots. Now, it doesn't mean that God's casting lots and giving it to that way. But the emphasis here, he chooses this illustration so that no one will boast in how they got saved. You, you, cannot, you cannot brag. Well, I... God's so lucky. God's so fortunate to have me now. You know, I, after all, I, when he saved me, I was already about half saved anyway. So he saved me. And, and now the church is going to do so well. And, and the kingdom's going to expand just because, man, I mean, he got a prize when he got me. Yeah, right. Actually, the phrase faith, like precious faith, is faith of equal standing. It emphasizes the spiritual equality that all of us have. Listen to me. There's no one in here that knows Jesus that's half saved. You're saved as much as everyone else that's ever been saved since Jesus was here. Like precious faith. The same faith that saved Peter, the same faith that saved Paul and James and John and Matthew and whoever else, it's the same faith that saved you. You're just as saved as Peter was. You're just as saved as Paul was. You've got the same salvation. It's been provided for you. The Lord may give us different responsibilities, but we're all equal when it comes to salvation. Some of us are not more saved than the other ones. We're just as saved as everybody else. Aren't you glad? There are no second-class Christians, all first-class. This same word was used to 
in the ancient world with strangers and foreigners who were given equal citizenship in a city. John Piper said, no matter how much authority a believer is given by Christ, he should never forget that the great joy of his life should simply be that he is saved by faith like all the other saints. We've all been saved the same way. By the grace of God and faith through Jesus. Salvation is also priceless. He uses the word precious here. He likes that word. You're going to see it again next week when we talk about the promises of God. Don't miss next week. He's got some precious promises for us. Precious, priceless. It means equal in quantity or quality, but also held as of great price. Here, he's talking about the equality, but he throws in that that word, you have like priceless faith with us. Have you ever thought about where you'd be without Jesus? You ever think about that? You'd have no hope. You'd have no direction. You'd have no peace. You'd have no assurance, no confidence. Think what Jesus has done for you, how priceless that is. Pastor Rittenhouse and his family were on a vacation traveling down the highway when they saw a suitcase fly off of a car that was going in the opposite direction. And they stopped to pick it up, but the driver of the car kept going, didn't realize the suitcase had come off. And when they looked in the suitcase, the only clue to the driver's identity was a $20 gold piece that had this inscription, given to Otis Sampson at his retirement by Portland Cement Company. After correspondence with the cement company, they found and located Otis Sampson and wrote him a letter telling them that they had gotten his suitcase. And he said, well, you can throw the suitcase away, but would you please send that $20 gold piece? Several times, Mr. Sampson used the phrase, my most precious possession. So the Rittenhouses sent the gold piece with a cover letter. And the cover letter to Mr. Sampson talked about their most precious possession, Jesus Christ. About a year later, at Christmas, Pastor Rittenhouse received a Christmas package. In it was a $20 gold piece. That one in particular. He said... Pastor, you'll be happy to know, Mr. Sampson wrote, you'll be happy to know that we have become Christians and are active members of a church. We want you to have this gold piece. I'm 74. My wife is 72. You were the first ones to tell us about Jesus. Now, Jesus is our most prized possession. Our faith is precious because it's free, it's open to all, it's complete, it's the total work of God, it's eternal, it's something that, we can, be, that can be lived out because of the Holy Spirit in us. He's our most prized possession. I'd hate to be working because I would feel like I would leave something out, and sure enough, I would, but isn't it good to know that Jesus paid it all? that we don't have to earn it. It's not Jesus plus anything that saves us. It's just Jesus. 
So you remember what salvation's done for you and you remember who you are, but then don't forget, and I've already alluded to it, I won't spend much time there, but you need to realize the source of salvation. It says in verse, two, in verse one, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ or in the righteousness, both of them are correct. One of them would be the means, the other one would be the object, but either way, it is through the righteousness of Jesus because when you turn from your sin and ask God to forgive you, he covers you, imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus who never sinned. He covers you, he forgives you, he saves you. We obtained it as a gift. We have that equal gift of salvation Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Romans 4, 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus. Don't take my word for it. He said it. Because he's the only sinless man that's ever lived. He's the only one that could take the price of our sin and pay for it, which was death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead because he conquered death. And now our faith in him takes us home. But don't miss this phrase. In fact, underline it. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one article here that indicates that phrase means the same person. This isn't the only place where the scripture calls Jesus God. Here, Peter says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All one phrase, meaning one person. No, there's not two articles, the Savior and the God. It doesn't say that. Now, later he distinguishes in chapter, excuse me, in verse 2. But this one, he's basically making a statement that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God and fully human. People say, well, you Christians, y'all are a bunch of polytheists. You have a lot of gods. You've got God the Father, Jesus is God, and Holy Spirit's God. No, we have one God manifested in three ways, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't completely understand it because I'm a finite person. My mind is finite, a lot more finite than most of you probably. God is infinite. I don't understand completely the Trinity, but I do know that the scripture bears it out clearly and that Jesus is God. He had to be God to save us or no one could atone for the penalty of sin if he wasn't God. And he had to be man to save us because no one would take the sin of man unless they were a real man. And so he was the God man. How can he be fully God and fully man? I don't know. It's one of those things by faith that I take because it's scripture bears it out. See, no one else can save you other than Jesus. He's the source of salvation. One pastor said that a savior who is not God is like a bridge broken at the far end. It may look good for a while, but it's not gonna get you there. 
So folks, you understand, you're here today because you believe Jesus is God. He is God. There are a lot of scriptures. John 1, 1, John 1, 18, John 20, verse 28, Romans 9, 5, Titus 2, 13, Hebrews 1, 8, all state that Jesus is God. And so he could save us. He's our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just about done. I know you're glad. Remember, the last thing I want you to see is remember the sequence of sanctification, of growing. Now, folks, I don't want you to miss this. He says, grace and peace, charis, charis is the, the greeting that the Greeks would use. Shalom was the greeting that the Hebrews would use. But he's saying, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I'm saved by the grace of God, and as a result of that, I got the peace of God. But how is this grace multiplied? Well, first of all, you've got to, you've got to get the correct arrangement here. Grace is always first. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, and it always comes first. You don't get peace later. I mean, you get peace later, but peace doesn't come first. Oh, I'm seeking for peace. No, when you understand that you are right with God through his grace, it brings peace, doesn't it? Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. Peace is the result of experiencing God's grace. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And those of you who've met Christ, you know what I'm talking about. But Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So there's a continuous awareness and a continuous acquisition of this knowledge. The word knowledge here is not just mental ascent, not just mental facts. It is a deeper knowledge of God that comes through studying his word. And the more you know about God and the more you know about the Lord and the more you apply it to your lives, the deeper you grow in the Lord and the more peace and grace for every situation occurs. See, a growing Christian is a knowing Christian, but I want to tell you what's happened today. It seems that there's been a dumbing down of Christianity today. All for the sake of convenience. Three easy steps to do this, four steps to do that, five steps to do that. I'm not against steps, but I want to tell you something. If you don't teach the truth of God's word, even the hard stuff, you're never going to grow. And the more you know about the Lord and the more you understand his word and the more you're going to know, the more grace and peace wells up in you because you have assurance and, and you have strength and courage and guidance to go on. The Holy Spirit gives that to you. So why do we harp on teaching the word of God? And why do we teach it in Sunday school and small groups? And Because without the word of God, you're not going to grow. If you want more peace in your life, here's the starting place right here. Well, first of all, you got to have Jesus. I'm talking to Christians. But if you want more peace, get in his word. 
Well, at least five of you think so. <laughs> D.L. Moody said, I prayed for faith and thought it would strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. Then one day I read, now faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now began to study my Bible and faith has been growing ever since. You've got to know who you are, where you came from, who did it for you. And you've got to keep on growing. That's what this book's about. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior, you do not have to join our church to do it. You've got to turn from your sin, ask Christ to come into your life. Commit your life to him. It's not just praying a prayer. That's the problem is we made it so simple. Just pray this prayer and you'll be saved. No, you commit your life in this prayer and you'll be saved. Some of you need to be baptized. That's the, that's the show that you've been saved. It's the follow through. Look, yeah, Lord, I, I'm going to do this. I, I'm not volunteer. You, you don't volunteer. You're servant. Some of you need to understand you're not just a volunteer. In fact, we ought to just start calling people servants instead of volunteers because we're bound to Jesus to serve him. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Pastor David, for a poignant opening message in our new series. In our first two verses, we find Peter urging his readers to recall everything they are in Christ, having gone from sinners to saints and from slaves to sin to bondservants of the Lord. He also emphasized the priceless salvation provided them and its sole source, their God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter capped his greeting by pointing out that their peace was preceded by God's grace. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.